Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Chapel Southeast podcast. Thank you for joining us for our study through the book of Ecclesiastes. In the 21st century, our lives are continually getting busier and busier. Each day brings more work, more stresses, and more responsibilities. Our hurried lives under the sun can seem monotonous, empty, and meaningless. All of it leaves us with one question. What's the point of it all? This is the question that is faced head-on in the book of Ecclesiastes. Grab your Bibles, and let's jump in. Well, good evening. Welcome to uh, Calvary Chapel Southeast, our Wednesday night service. Welcome to those who are online with us. We are grateful to have you here with us. And we are continuing our study in the book of Ecclesiastes, and we are going to be looking at the remainder of chapter 5 tonight. Um, last week, you know, I mentioned that I felt like that there needed to be a break here. The original thought I had was that I would teach the remainder of chapter 5 and all of chapter 6, uh, but just through circumstance and what I think we're going to take a little smaller chunk tonight and just finish chapter 5 and that allow us, uh, hopefully, time to really kind of rest and wait on the Lord as we um, engage in communion with the Lord. Um, so, sit back. Don't close your eyes. <laughs> what was that one, one pastor said? He says, you know, I'm not too terribly offended when people fall asleep. I just assume they're comforted by my voice. <laughs> All right. Uh, before, before we start into this, uh, let, I just want to pray again. Lord, we, we know who we are. But even in that statement, your word tells us that we often don't know all the details of the things that we have hidden away or ignored in our subconscious and behaviors and attitudes, Lord, that you want to reveal, gifts and abilities that you want to foster, as we just sang, that you would fan into flame those things that you've planted into our lives. And as we open your word, as we spend time now with you, we're not reading some historical document, but as it were, opening up that audio file that we might hear the voice of God, to hear your voice, and that it would provoke in us, that it would produce in us a love for you that's greater than the things of this world. and a love for you that emulates you, Jesus, and your love for others and your desire for, for us, for everyone to know your Father. So equip us, we pray, for those purposes. Reveal things in us. Strengthen us. Comfort us, we pray. In your name and for your glory, Jesus. Amen. 
So if you're already there at chapter 5, we'll take a quick little review as we studied through chapter 5, verses 1 through 7 last week. We are reminded of our need to have a healthy fear, or, or better yet, as we said, an awe, a healthy sense of awe in our relationship with God. As verse 2 of chapter 5 says, do not be quick with your mouth or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. Why? It says, for God is in heaven and you are on the earth, therefore let your words be few. And verse 1 of chapter one, 5 also warns us really to guard our steps, that is, to examine our attitudes, the attitudes of our hearts and minds, actions, our motives, before we enter into that time of seeking God, whether it be in His Word, certainly in prayer, this is specifically what it's talking about, but also in worship as we, as we just did. All of this, this whole service is a worship service. So it's not just our time of singing, but also our time of prayer and study of His Word. Our greatest need in our, need in our times of worship and prayer is to listen. That is to seek to know the heart of God and His direction with obedience coupled with it, rather than thoughtlessly making requests of Him. And I, I, I think I shared this with you before. Sometimes we get into this mindset that, is prayer, that prayer is merely a grocery list for God. I know you're going to the store, God. I know you got the storehouse full. Here's my list of things that I need. Thank you very much. See you later. But no, God wants us to listen intently to Him for His small voice that we would know not only what he desires of us, but then that we might have the heart and mind of God to obey it, to carry it out. And this requires, to, requires us to approach him first with humility, and then out of that humility, a sense of awe. He is the almighty God, the creator of all things, and he alone knows the thoughts and the intentions of every person on this earth. To awe God produces in us a sensitivity toward His authority, His power, His wisdom, and yes, the grace that He daily pours upon us so that we won't forget it and, and be stingy in our grace towards others. As mentioned last week in Proverbs 14, 26, it ought to inform and equip us to rightly approach God. It says, in the fear of the Lord... There is strong confidence, and his children will have refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life by which one may avoid the snares of death. So it is a protection for us as well. When at our study last week, along these lines, as we approach God, our words should be thoughtful, careful, prayerful, eternally eternally meaningful and few. Jokingly said, don't miss a good opportunity to shut up. And that ought to provoke in us a godly obedience. It says, God, in light of all that you 
have revealed, and all that I understand of you and your love for me, what then shall I do? That promotes a healthy awe of God so that we may say less in our times of worship and mean more. Now, as we look at the remainder of chapter 5, we see Solomon transitioning from speaking about God and expressing um, an appropriate awe and obedience to him to the realities of what it's like to live in a fallen world that seems to challenge the truth about God's care and concern for those who suffer and also the apparent lack of justice toward the selfish and the wicked. So, Let's pick it up at verse 8 of chapter 5. Solomon writes, If you see oppression of the poor and denial of justice and unrighteousness in the province, do not be shocked at the sight. For one official watches over another official, and there are higher officials over them. After all, a king who cultivates the field is an advantage to the land. So he lays the first piece out. He says, wickedness in this world should not shock us. Are you shocked by the fact that evil still persists? I'll admit, sometimes I think just when I thought it couldn't get worse, right? I'm like, what? But the reality is the natural consequence, this is a natural consequence of sin, as Sam and I have talked with people over the years, especially talking to individuals that are ministering to family members that are challenging or really, really broken, and they're like, I'm so frustrated with them. And one of the phrases that it seems we often use is, what would you expect a non-believer to do? What should we expect for the unredeemed to do other than what is naturally their bend. What was naturally our bend, right? A persistence in sin that affects every area of life. And this is particularly regarding the abuse of authority. Psalm 14, 2 through 3 says, "'The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men.'" to see if there are any who, are, uh, who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is, not, there is no one who does good, not even one. So if we look at the world and we remember where we came from, we have to say, this is the natural order of things. As Solomon says, if life is just lived under the sun, if God is not intervening, then this is the course of every human being apart from God. See, the problem is not with our environment. It's not with our upbringing. The problem is a heart condition. It always has been a heart condition. Solomon, Solomon understands that bureaucracies often promote oppression. The man-made system does not supply an answer to the heart problem. It does not supply an answer to the heart problem, man-made systems. This is why we talk about religion being a killer. When there's just a set of rules and regulations, if I check the box, if I do this X, Y, and Z, then I'm all good with God. That's a man-made method 
of attempting to draw near to God apart from Christ. And he says that will never lead us to a solution for oppression in our society. In verse 9, he also understands that even a king receives his provision from the laborer, yet it doesn't necessarily solve the problem. Right? I mean, we, we see this in our world. Um, I, I want to be very careful to not mix too much politics really. In the, but as we see the increase of taxes, where, do that, where does that supply? Where does that food come from? Well, it comes from the laborer. And even the king that supports that or the ruler or governing authorities that support that, that alone is not going to sway them. Only, only the heart of God. Now, we, we can't miss the fact that God is concerned for the oppressed and his plan includes the relief, their relief, our relief, and justice. He might use the king or a president or government leaders to bring relief. However, it is clear from his word that he is the source, our source of help. Psalm 121.2, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Nowhere else. By the power of his word, he made all things and all things are held together in him. Even during times of oppression or, or difficult times of life, God is not only aware, he is also accomplishing his purposes in all circumstances. And listen, it is easy to miss that. I'm the, I'll be the first one to admit that. When things are really going bad, you can ask my wife, she's not here tonight, but you can ask her another day. You know, I, too often I am the glass half empty guy. I'm thinking I'm creating a plan B and C and D for all the possibilities of everything going wrong. Forgetting often, too often, that God hasn't forgot about us. He has not missed out and said, wow, I forgot who I was supposed to be watching over today. Wow, how did I miss that challenge? He knows all things. Assures us through his word, through relationships, through his Holy Spirit, that as we look at the condition of our communities, our state, the nation, the world, our Heavenly Father is in fact directing the outcomes. His word says that he raises up rulers and he lays them low. That is his business. And he is using whatever he needs to use to accomplish those purposes. His glory, his name to be known, and for, for us, for mankind, to know him to the point of salvation. He des his, his desire is for us to come closer to him in those difficult times in prayer, in his word, in fellowship with his people, in service to others, and in that to be confident that he has our interest, our best interest in mind. It's when we get separated from one another 
that things can go pretty wonky. It's when we're left to our own devices that pretty soon we're like, how, how did I get here? How did I miss the fact that God is still absolutely in control? The reality is we cannot and should not place our hope and peace in man-made solutions. It's just not going to happen. Verse 10, he takes another twist on this now. He says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. That too is vanity. When good things increase, those who consume them increase. So what is the advantage to their owners except to look on? The sleep of the working man is pleasant, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich man does not allow him to sleep. There is a grievous evil which I have seen under the sun, riches being hoarded by their owner to his hurt. When those riches were lost through bad investment and he had fathered a son, then there was nothing to support him. As he had come naked from his mother womb, so will he return as he came. He will take nothing from the fruit of his labor that he can carry in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Exactly as a man is born, thus will he die. So what is the advantage to him who toils for the wind? Throughout his life, he also eats in darkness with great vexation, sickness, and anger. So here, God provides to us a warning. Should we consider placing our hope and our security in money or possessions, in, in, in hard assets of this world? 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9 through 10, but those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And I've shared with you before some of my own history. These, these continue to be a challenge in my life. When, when times are difficult, times are lean, I begin to think of ways that, okay, how can I, how can I fix this financial situation? What can I do? My first, too often, my first response is not, Lord, I know you see my need. And instead, we want a solution. But in this warning that Solomon gives us, he's really telling, telling us the perils of loving money. Number one, the more you have, the more people want from you. This is the reality. And, and you don't have to go very far to look at it. Turn on the television. Open a news magazine. Open YouTube or Facebook or any other social media. And where there is a lot of wealth, there are a lot of so-called friends. Friends not that will stand by you in the difficult times, but only when there's plenty of fun and money to be had. He, he's saying, listen, when good things increase, those who consume them increase. And it becomes a weight and a burden, which means then as they are consumed, what does it require of us? Well, we got to produce more. Lest we lose 
those relationships, lest we offend. So it's, it's the practical aspect of this. The more money you have, the more people there are to meet needs with. The more people want from you. Number two, the loss of joy in helping others. As, as our finances can increase beyond our basic needs, and when we've been to, give, to have disposable income uh, to an excess, we can often come to this place where we become, as it says in the passage, hoarders. And we begin to wonder if those relationships are based upon their love and affection to us as a human being rather than what we possess. We perhaps begin to look at people differently. Sometimes we might not have a lot of money, but we might be in a position where we look at people and say, if I had a relationship with that person, I might get some good stuff. So we need to be guarding our hearts. Where is our love? What is holding our hearts right now? Number three, the loss of relationships. Well, you, could see, you could see this all over the place. Broken families. Devastated families. Think with me to all the um, Powerball winners. If you ever bothered to look up, like, whatever happened to these people that won millions and millions? Do you know that most of them are penniless in a relatively short time? Because along the way, they lost the important relationships, and it became just about the resource that they had at their disposal. Going back to the previous point, the loss of joy in helping others, it, they go hand in hand. Because now, at times, in that excess, it can be, well, I, I can help you out. I can help out a little bit here, a little bit here, a little bit here, but it never becomes a sacrifice of our heart. It never costs us anything. Right? You might say, well, so-and-so donated, you know, this sports athlete donated $15 million. Yes, but he's making $150 million. So, too, that's like a, a little piece. It's not the amount, it's the heart. So the joy of ministering to others out of the resources that God has given to us can easily be lost along with the relationships and then loss of eternal purpose. Did God give us those resources just for our enjoyment? No. Whatever you do, do heartily as unto the Lord, right? For it is the Lord God whom you serve. The reality is amassing and hoarding of wealth only leads, as the passage tells us, to sleepless nights and days full of anxiety, sickness, and anger. Why? Because the possessions now possess us. It's the tail wagging the dog. And that often leads us to greater acts of selfishness, increased paranoia, a hatred to, towards those that want to access the resources perhaps that we've worked so hard for. These are mine. I worked so hard for them. We are missing the point. 
they were never ours to begin with. And this kind of stress impacts us both physically and mentally. It cannot be avoided. If our life is only about money, when there's plenty, it's not enough. And when it's lacking, it's not enough. And you're never satisfied any point in between. Now, God does want us to enjoy the labor that he puts before us. He wants us to enjoy the work of our hands. It's not a bad thing for us to earn a living and even to make great wealth if it is surrendered to him. He says, to whom much is given, much is required. But he does want us to enjoy the work. Verse 18, and here's what I've seen to be good and fitting, to eat, to drink, and to enjoy oneself in all one's labor in which he toils under the sun during the few years of his life which God has given him, for this is his reward. Again, he, thinking in two realms. In Solomon's realm in this passage, it's like, if all there is in life, it's good that you, you know, is what we have here, it's good that you enjoy it. That's your reward. But in, the, but in light of who God is, if all my possessions, if all that I have in my life belongs to God, I will discover the reward of it. I will discover the reward and joy of knowing that it's surrendered to him and it's going to be used in a good way. Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also empowered him to eat from them, to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. For he will not often consider the years of his life because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. I mentioned it earlier, Colossians 3, chapter 3, verses 23 through 24. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. That is who we serve with everything that he has given to us, or someone might say loaned to us. And with this attitude, our work, our labor to earn a living is actually a blessing from God. If you look beginning in Genesis, God gave Adam work to do to he allowed Adam to cooperate in his creation. That has always been God's design, for us to cooperate in his creation to fulfill his purposes. We get to partner with the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He doesn't need us, but he sure enjoys us participating in his work. Today, you and I, we've been given work to do, no matter our circumstances. And this work is part of God's plan to enrich our lives. And we say, well, I don't have a job right now. There is still work for you to do. Well, you know, you know I, I'm, I'm elderly. I can't get out of the house. I can't do what I... There is still work for you to do. To quote my grandmother, when they thought she was dying, and my dad flew out to Michigan and was there, and, and there is this mom sitting up 
in bed doing crossword puzzles and talking to the nurses. And, and dad says, why, why is God allowing this? And Grandma Smith said, because apparently God still has work for me to do. While we still have breath in our bodies, he has work for us to do. And it's meant to be for our good, our enjoyment, for praise to him, and for his glory to be known in other people's lives. It is our work, if our work and the fruit of that work is merely for our own benefits, if it's selfishly hoarded, then work becomes burdensome. And this applies to ministry as well. When it's just done for our own recognition, satisfaction, to stroke our ego, it becomes burdensome. However, if we see our jobs as a means to cooperate in God's kingdom plan, then any task, anything that we do, no matter how small, it gains eternal significance. The benefits do end with the benefits don't end with us rather they are designed to be poured out upon us then we in turn pour them out upon others at the very core our jobs when we're in the workplace our jobs are the first step in God's evangelism plan do we understand that he didn't just give us a job to put a roof over our head and clothing and food on the table, right? Maybe a vacation or a car, you know, whatever. It was actually the first step, the first piece in his evangelism plan. Go into all the world. How? Well, whatever I send you, with whatever you do. And if this is viewed through the, that lens then work becomes satisfying, purpose-filled. We actually, we actually get paid to demonstrate the truth, faithfulness, grace, and hard work God did on our behalf if we look at work through the right lens. We're getting paid to talk about Him. With this attitude, perhaps then we could echo verse 20. Speaking of that person who finds satisfaction, for he will not often consider the years of his life because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. If indeed we are looking at these things through that lens that says it all is from God as a kind and generous gift, <coughs> if it belongs to him and I'm merely a steward of it, if my life and my work are a means for his gospel to spread through me towards others, then we will not consider the years of our lives as long or burdensome because we will have this gladness of heart within us. We will be filled with the mind and heart of Christ by the power of his spirit. 
Not only will work provide for our needs and bring us joy, but we are also fulfilling Jesus' command to make his name known in all situations. And to make him known requires generosity. Not only with our possessions, but also with our time. It is the generosity of God that allows us to walk in the truth and love as he loves. It is because he was incredibly unendingly generous towards us through his son that we can have this relationship. 1 Timothy 6, 17. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. That which is life indeed. To take hold of that which is life indeed. These words are echoed in the words of Jesus in John 10.10. He came to give us life that we might have it more abundantly in a crazy fashion an unimaginable way. Because according to our passage, riches of any kind without generosity leads us to insanity. And I pray that we would be people rich in Christ and generous in His name in all aspects of our life. Now, as we, as we close out chapter 5, God pleads with us, really, I think, to recall the vanity of trusting in man-made systems of power. He warns us to abandon our tendency of trusting in what we earn by the sweat of our own brows if we think like that. But the reality is no amount of money or possession will ever protect us from the ever-present godless people who desire to oppress others. Nothing of this world will protect us, for we do not wage war according to the flesh, right? It's a spiritual battle that needs to take place, and it starts right here, in my heart, in our hearts. Sin, since sin exists in the heart of mankind, there will always be those who abuse power. Since sin exists, humanity will always try to supplant God by trusting in wealth. And that is the reason Jesus came down to dwell among us, one of them, to free us from these false gods which are like tottering on a foundation of sand. He came to make his Father's name known, to be a physical representation of God. Colossians 2.9, for, for in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Now, he did not come to make us rich in this world, in the things of this world. Rather, rather he came us to make us rich towards God, the Father, or, or to be full of the knowledge of God and fully restore what was crushed and broken in our relationship with the Father and by natural function restore what is broken between us as human beings. And he did this by surrendering 
His power, authority, and possessions. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 10. Do nothing from selfish, uh, selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility consider one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, as he already existed in the form of God, did not regard or consider equality with God something to be held on to, grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. And it continues on that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess. He died that we might live, not for the here and now, but for eternity. Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. All the things that you need, all the things that are necessary for God to receive glory and honor and praise from your lips and from others who witness your testimony. Now, as we end tonight, I, Josh, Rebecca, if you guys want to come up, as we end tonight, I, I pray that we would remember his humility, his service, his love toward us. To re be reminded of that he is our source of joy and peace and purpose and strength, and to recall the example he set for us. That we would pe be people that weren't caught off guard by the sin and the wickedness and the injustice, but we would remember, quickly remember, it is God. But God is in control. Nothing of this world's world will satisfy us. Nothing of this world will fix the issues and problems in our life. Only Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening to week six of our Ecclesiastes study. If you're ever in the Portland area, we would love to have you visit us for one of our services. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ccseportland.com. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue in our study together.